Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terrilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hey, everybody. This is Tara Lynn, and I am here with Emily Lawson from the Sandbox Academy, and we are going to be talking about independent play. This is one of the most common questions that we have. I mean, we are getting questions. We get them from our reviews, and we get Instagram messages on our personal Instagrams and our Find the Magic Instagram, and there are several patterns that come through over and over, and one of our most common questions is, How in the world can I encourage my kid or my kids to play independently? Because as mothers, we feel sometimes like we either need to be entertaining them or have a screen. And both of those don't serve us for long periods of time, right? So it can be exhausting, exhausting having to be the entertainer. And also then we feel bad if we're just putting them in from the screen. So independent play is kind of this magical space that we, we know it's good for them. And we can also do other things and like get things done. So Emily, here's an expert on this. So we thought you'd be great to help answer this common question. I mean, we talk about independent play a lot in our episodes. So this will be a really good supplement to the conversations that we've had in the past since you have dedicated so much time and research and you've created stuff that will help. So Emily, can you give us a little background to yourself and just help our listeners know who you are? Yes, I'm so excited to be here and talk to you guys about this today. I'm Emily Lawson. I am a mom of two and I'm a former teacher. My kids are four and six. And then I am married to my high school sweetheart and we live in California on our little makeshift farm. We bought two acres out in the country and we are really enjoying that. Like I said, I'm a former teacher. I quit my job as a teacher when my daughter was 15-ish months. She's my oldest. And I was pregnant with my second. And staying as a teacher and sending both kids to school would have would have been my entire paycheck. I did not want to work to send my kids to daycare. So when I started getting to know some mom friends, I was chatting with my group of mom friends and they were starting to talk about preschools and stuff. And I was just kind of sitting there silently in that conversation thinking like there's no way I'm going to be able to go home today and ask my husband if I can send our almost two-year-old to preschool when I literally just quit my job to stay home with her and it wasn't what I wanted either you know I I quit my job to stay to stay home and at that point in her childhood I, that's what I wanted to be was just to stay at home mom and I, I don't mean that word just in negatively but I did. I just, I wanted to be that, ha- that to be my only job. And so I kind of looked around at some of my friends and I asked like, are, are you doing this too? Are you sending, sending your kids to preschool too? And there was a group of us who had, we were about 50, 50, half were sending and half were waiting and no like shame on those who were choosing to send. It just wasn't the choice that we were ready to make yet. But so I looked at the ones who were saying, no, we're not ready. And I said, well, you know, I'm a teacher. I can write some activities up for us to do to keep our kids at home. And so that's how this little 
blog came to be, this little Sandbox Academy business came to be. And yeah, I've then I've taken this deep dive into preschool activities and preschool kids and how to be a parent to a toddler preschooler and keep them busy and entertained at home. I love that kind of journey. That's a similar journey for myself. I didn't send my kids to preschool. And my friend who was an elementary school teacher, what grade did you teach? I primarily was taught fourth grade, but I was, I've done a little bit of all the elementary grades. Okay. And my, my neighbor friend, she did, she wrote us a little like a thing we did. I mean, we just, we took turns at each other's houses just once a week and she blew my mind because she had been a teacher. And I mean, I was a college professor, so this is not up my alley (laughs) at all, (laughs) but there is something about the experience of teaching small children that just was really helpful. So I'm so excited to have more of your insight into this because and then later she actually sent her kids to preschool the next year and I was kind of sad because I was like wait this was really working for me (laughs) so okay so I actually want to first talk about family because one of the goals for you in having your kids home more was you wanted to connect as a family so obviously we're going to go into independent play as a nice tool for us as mothers so that we can still like do our things in life. But I would just like to first touch on family connection. Can you talk a little bit about what you have found with independent play and your kind of journey as a family for family connection? They play so well into each other because, I mean, we talked about how it allows us to do a task. We kind of touched on that. Well, when I'm able to do those tasks without a small child hanging on me, I feel a little more not losing my mind. (laughs) That's just all the spade of spade here. And I'm able to get the task done faster too. And so then I'm, I, that gives me that drive and desire to go then sit and be with my kids for the quality family connection time. So that time that you have both had a little bit of independence, you as a mom getting, whether you're doing a task or you're reading a book, you've been able to take that mental break from, cause it's mentally exhausting I love my children dearly, but it's mentally exhausting answering their questions and being with them all the time. So when you take that 10 minute break, an hour break, however long it is for them to play independently and you to do your own thing, then when you come back together, you are excited to come back together with them and you want to do something of value with them. You might want to do a craft or play a game or something where you're actually interacting with them versus we've gotten to into traps sometimes where we just all stare at the screen together. And yeah, at least we're sitting together staring at a screen, but we're not really engaging with each other. But instead, when we're doing really good quality, independent time, then in the evenings, we really want to play games together. We really want to enjoy each other. That's when more of our dance parties happen. And the stuff where we're truly making those memories that our kids will value forever and cherish forever you know, mm-hmm. that's such a good way to look at it because you're right. There are things we really just need to get done as mothers. If we're actually getting those done certain times during the day, it does allow us to have quality time later. Oh, I like that. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. And frankly, we're just, I call it my patient skin. My patient skin is thicker when I have had some time Oh yeah. with them playing independently. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just, when, then when I'm playing with them or I'm interactively engaging with them, I'm just much more patient. Even if it was just that I finally got my room vacuumed 
without them. It's really helpful. So I like that. I like that connection between independent play and family connection. It allows space for both. I think as mothers now, we have this idea that in order to be good mothers, we need to be constantly engaged with our children. But if you look at the history of time, like throughout the history of time, humans have been getting things done at the same time as having children, right? But I think we are, we're given this like impossible task of, we want you to be productive and effective, but also be constantly engaged with your children constantly. So that means playing with them and giving them creative things to do all the time. And it's an impossible task to do both at the same time. So I really think independent play to me is like this magical piece because again, it's good for kids. And that's what kids have been doing for forever. Like we've only had screens for the past few decades. And before that, what do kids do while their mom is like farming or <laughs> gathering berries? They're like making stick figures out of twigs. You know what I mean? Like yes. kids know how to do this instinctually if we just give them the space to do Absolutely. it. We don't this, like, no, I, I have to manage. I have to manage what they're doing all the time because that's just exhausting, guys. Moms, we don't have to do this. We do not have to manage every second of our children's lives. So, And I'm going to go ahead and say that you're doing them as a disservice. Yeah. Not just yourself. You're not just drawing yourself into the you know ground. You're doing a huge disservice to your kid because when our kids understand how to, because there's so many benefits to independent play that they really can't get anywhere else. And it's, I believe in the public school system. I send my kids to public school, but a lot of these things get crushed once they start public school. When our kids are able to play independently, they are working on problem solving skills because the Legos don't always fit together right away the first way they want it to fit together. And they're gonna have to figure, or even a puzzle, you know, the things aren't gonna work the way they want it to work the first time. Mm -hmm. And if you go fix it for them, they didn't learn how to fix it. Mm -hmm. And if you're playing there with them, even I'm instinctually, I'm watching my kid like struggle with a puzzle piece and it takes everything in me not to just reach over and put the puzzle piece in because he figured out where it's supposed to go. He just can't figure out how to get it in. Mm -hmm. um, but I, that stops them from their natural problem solving skills. Mm -hmm. When they're playing independently, they're also working on their social emotional skills. So I watch my daughter play with Barbies and doll, her dollhouse all the time. And you hear these stories that she's working through. A lot of the times I can hear that it's something that she's, go, she's working through, that she's a problem she had with her brother or a problem she had with her friends or a good experience that she's reliving with her friends. And she is figuring out how, and also I've heard, you know, myself come out of her, her voice, the good and the bad. And she is learning how to regulate those emotions, how to deal with those social problems by having that practice back and forth between her dolls. And it feels way less intimidating to do it with her dolls than it is to have that actual conversation with me of like, here's what happened and here's how I felt about it. And if she can practice it with her dolls, then she can, that can lead to having that very grown up conversation mm -hmm. with mom. Mm -hmm. and they're working on building their imagination, which, I mean, there's not a single invention in this world that didn't start from somebody having creativity and an imagination. So fostering that allows their imagination to grow. It builds up their resilience because like we were talking about with the problem solving, they're going to get it wrong and mm -hmm. they're going to have to try again and try again and try again. 
But when we hop into the play and we take over and fix it, because we can do it on the first try because we've already learned, then we kind of kill that resiliency because why keep trying if somebody else could just do it for me the right, the first time. Mm-hmm. And it kind of teaches them like, I can't do it. Mom can do it, but I can't do it. It's a learn. It becomes a learned helplessness. When I was in my credential program, I learned a lot about that with kids with special needs, but it also happens with our kids. It's not just a special needs. I want to say issue, but I don't want to use the wrong word, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's something that all kids could learn as a self-helplessness. If we are constantly as the adult doing something that our kids can do for themselves, they just learn that I can't, they can't, why bother trying mom can do it for me and I don't need to. And it builds up their self-confidence because if they've been able to build up resiliency and they've been able to build up their problem solving and they've achieved all these things after trying something multiple times, they figured it out on their own and they achieved something. Well, now they've got self-confidence. So that idea that I should be with my kid all the time, I'm going to go ahead and just squash it and say, no, drop that mom guilt of not being with your kids all the time, because there are some big benefits that you are giving your kid when you let them sit by themselves and play and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yes. In fact, I have heard it described as it's a developmental milestone. Like you play and there's such thing as play therapy Mm -hmm. where you let child led play. They do work through so many things if we just allow them the space. Okay. So I can hear our listeners saying, yes, Emily, I hear you. Independent play is great. We're motivated now, right? Like we're feeling like, yes, we know we want our children to have independent play for them and their development for us and our sanity and for our family connection. So how, if, I mean, cause I know a lot of our listeners are feeling like, no, if I let them, if I just say, go play, they just follow me around. Like, mom, what should I do? Mom, what should I do? Oh yeah. The iPad. Where's the iPad? I mean, so how do we get from point A, which is children who you feel, they feel like the kids are not independently playing <laughs> to what you're describing. And I know it's possible. I feel like in my own family, I mean, I think the earlier you start, like there's just less of a transition, but I also know from our listeners and from reading so much, you can make the transition at any point. So it's never too late, everybody listening, but I don't, I mean, for me, I love, I love this topic so much, but can you, as an expert, give us this with all of your experience, can you help our parents who are listening get from point A to point B? Where do you start and how do you stop? For me, it's almost like a when I describe it to some of my friends, it's like, a, it might feel a little bit like a withdrawal at first. If you're just starting helping your kids, like, no, 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 I'm not going to be here with you, helping you put the Lego on. Yeah. You're going to be doing it yourself. It might feel a little bit like a little, you might have a little withdrawal period, but can you tell us, walk us through, where do you start? How does that look? How can we help cultivate this in our kids? So age is definitely a factor. I started with my kids two-ish. Let me put this out there. I have a stage five clinger. So I get my kids were not naturally like, cool, mom, go do your thing. And I'll just sit over here without you. Is it your oldest or your youngest? My youngest is my clinger. We have not fully cut the umbilical cord. He is still (laughs) my bestie, Mm -hmm. but which there is something about the youngest. I mean, my youngest is the most out of all my kids as well, because I think it's just the nature of being the youngest. Yeah. But so I would say there's, I mean, it's with every parenting 
thing, idea out there, set a routine. That's going to be my first tip. If you have older kids, I'd say like four and up, a kid that you truly trust to not put things in their mouth and to like be able to be in a room by themselves for a little bit. You could go try longer periods of time first. If you have somebody, a kid two to four, let's set the expectation that you're only looking to get about 10 to 20 minutes of independent play. If you have a two to four year old, that's about all our kids are going to be able to do anyway at that age. So I want to set that clear expectation. You're not getting two hours of independent play out of a two-year-old. We're going to get 20 minutes here and then we'll do 20 minutes again later in the day and then 20 minutes again later in the day. But the thing would be to set a routine. So when my kids were in that two-year-old age, we had a little independent play time in the morning, we had independent play time in the afternoon and a little bit in the evening. Now, as my kids are older, they have school in the morning, so they don't really have that much independent play in the morning. But when they get home from school, first we do lunch, and then we've just, it's always been our rest, nap time turned to rest time, and rest is just quiet time. And I just hanging on to that as long as I possibly can, because it's just been part of our routine. And I'm, the minute I stop it from being out of our routine is when I'll never be able to get it back. So yeah. Um, can I just jump in there and tell it just like say an amen to, for me, the biggest tip of all, and I've told, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've like messaged this to somebody is that the transition <laughs> from nap time to quiet time, instead of just saying nap time to movie time or nap time to now you're just with me time. Yeah. It's just, oh yeah, you're not sleepy. That's okay. Just stay in your room and play for an hour. Cause my kids, I mean, from the beginning, it was about an hour. I mean, and sometimes they'd fall asleep, sometimes not. Yep. And then they graduated to being able to just, I mean, after my first kid, I would just let them leave the room. My first, I was like, you have to stay in your room. Here's a timer. I'd like give her a little timer and stuff. But after that, I mean, my kids just. So mine mine are required to stay in their room. I love there it. Two of them though. So, and their rooms are right next door. So this is where like, I kind of, each day just is different. There's days where I can see that my kids are moody and they just need that full time to themselves where I'm like, you're not allowed to play together. Mm-hmm. And then there's days where they're in good moods where I'm like, you guys can play together in your own rooms or in each other's rooms. You just can't, it just has to stay in your two rooms. I don't care what you're doing in those two rooms, as long as it stays in those two rooms. And like you said, the transition from nap to rest time, I've already ensured that their room is safe. Everything is secured to the walls. Nothing in there is, you know, a choking hazard. We don't store art supplies or scissors in there. So I'm not afraid that I'm going to walk into, you know, Van Gogh's painting on my walls. I'm just, I am comfortable with them staying in their rooms and whatever they, whatever's in there, they can play with and keep it safe in there. And we keep a few special toys just in their room. So that's often their time. Like my daughter's doll houses are her thing. And those are only in her room. We don't bring them out into the living room. So her hour long rest time is her time to really just dive into playing with her doll house. That would probably be another tip is that to pull out a special toy, something that is maybe put away during the day, but you just for to foster that independent play, you want them to be interested in it. And so a toy that's been put away, maybe you have a stash of like five toys and that gives you one a week or one a day 
for about a week minus the weekends everything always gets wonky at our house on the weekends so I like operate everything by Monday through Friday but you pull out one toy for independent play and it feels like Christmas because it's not out there and available and so it feels new and fun and exciting and then when independent play time's over or when they've lost interest in it don't I would never set a timer of like okay 20 minutes for independent play is over even though you're still engaged I'm cutting it off don't ever do that never I never interrupt independent play (laughs) when they're done you know you take it put it away and keep it away for another week so that next week when you pull it out again it feels special new and exciting all over again Mm. It may not even be their favorite toy, but it's one that they didn't have access to. So now it is the bomb.com because Mm. they didn't have access to it all week long. So we've established setting routine for my older kids. It is every day after rest time. And they know like, this is what we do. This is just, this is just how how it is. It's always been this way. And it's not always been this way for you. That's fine, but you're going to set up a routine and set up a boundary And they will figure it out. Kids are very adaptable. They thrive on routines and boundaries, actually, knowing what they can and can't do. They'll push it a little bit because that's normal in human nature, but it's kind of nice. They push it to know, well, what can I do and what can't I do? Hmm. Once they know, they'll stick to it. Yeah. What do you, what do you call it? Because like with my kids, I call it, well, the nap train transition, I call it quiet time. But then throughout the rest of the day, I call it free play. I just say, okay, it's free play time just throughout the day. If it's like, I'm going to work on something, you guys get free play. That means do your own thing. What do you? Yeah, we've done a little bit of that. The for sure one that they know is rest time. Mm. They're also cool with me just saying, okay, we're just going to, you guys are just going to go play right now on your own. But the hard and fast, no non-negotiable is rest time. Mm, Um, And that stemmed from nap time of, okay, we're no longer sleeping, but now we're just you have to stay in your room (laughs) I love it I've tried a plethora of different hair products, including shampoos, conditioners, creams, and I have had the same issues with my hair for years. First of all, I have a dry scalp issue, and my biggest thing with my hair is that it gets tangled super easily. But recently, I was introduced to a company called Gemist. I took their two-minute quiz that takes into a bunch of different factors, including what region you're from, how long or short your hair is, what are some of your biggest complaints with your hair, and then their fancy algorithm pairs you with the perfect products for your specific hair situation. So I was paired with a Formula 6 shampoo and Formula 13 conditioner, a styler cream, and a scalp balancing bar, and my hair feels amazing, probably better than it's felt in years, and I've been able to overcome some of these issues that I've had for so long. So some of my favorite things about these products are that they are sulfate-free, paraben-free, dye-free, never tested on animals, so it checks all those boxes when it comes to finding products that have quality ingredients. They smell amazing, and there are free returns. So if you are ready to have the best hair of your life, try Gemist. Right now, our listeners can give Gemist a try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner smart subscription. Smart subscribers already save 20% on each order, so this is an amazing deal. And with two-day shipping, you can have it by your hot date this weekend. Just visit Gemist.com to get your personalized recommendation and enter Find the Magic at checkout for 20% off your subscription and free two-day shipping. That's Gemist.com, G-E-M-M-I-S-T.com, and enter Find the Magic at checkout to get the best hair of your life. What's up, you guys? Roger Jessup here with the Utah House Doctors. So you just bought your nice new house, and what happens when something goes wrong or something breaks? We have you covered. We have vetted several contractors 
whether it be from a break in your sprinkler lines or your kid punched a hole in the wall and you just need a handyman. You have access to these people by following our page. And these are people that we know and trust. So then my next tip would be to back away slowly. So we're going to start with small increments. So this is where you start, where I started with my toddler. You're pl- we're sitting down, we're playing together. And I said, okay, we're going to, go- mommy's going to go potty and I'll be right back. You keep playing. You sit, you don't need to fall. You stay here and keep playing. I'll be right back. I'm going to go potty. Went to the bathroom, turned around, came back. And then it was like, okay, mommy's going to go change the laundry load. And I'm just going to switch the, I'm just going to switch from the washer to the dryer. And I did it real fast, came right back. Point being that I'm slowly incrementing the amount of time that I'm away from them, but I'm also keeping, and this sounds like I'm training a dog, which sounds so awful, Um, but slowly increasing the amount of time that I'm away from them, but also just doing that one task and coming back. Don't get sidetracked. Don't go do six other tasks. Do the one thing, come back to show them, remind them that they can keep playing when you're gone and they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And mommy's only going to go away to do that one thing. And she, she is really going to come back. She's mm-hmm. not going to leave. Helps building up that trust factor. Mm-hmm. And then it, and it built up to then like, okay, you guys are playing. Now I'm going to fold the laundry on the couch right next to you. And that's slow as they're, and I can see because they're, they were still little, they're two-year-olds then. I can see them. They're in my eyesight but I'm getting that task done and they are playing independently and they're learning how to do that with the, the safety net and the comfort zone of me still standing right next to them, you know? Yeah, I like that. Those are all really good tips. And then the last one is, has always been magic for us is just going outside. For some reason, when we take life outside, mm-hmm. my kids don't look to me to mm-hmm. entertain them. Like there's so much out there in the world that they're like, okay, I've got this. And, and we've had some pretty modest backyards that they were still like, you go do you and I'll do me. And that's been since they were very little that, and I don't have anything fancy outside. We do have some toys, but honestly, they're kitchen supplies from the Dollar Tree of like spoons and bowls and nothing fancy. We do have a sensory table, but any plastic bin would work. And honestly, that's probably the last thing they go to. They are more drawn to the actual dirt on the ground, the sticks and the mud and rocks. We do a lot of water and and digging Mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. But going outside is also just like that magic tool for us. There were times where I would, you know, I'll go out and I'll clean up dog poop or do yard work. And then there's days where I go out and I, I read a book, like, like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I I can't believe I sit down and read a book with my kids playing, but I do. And, and outside time is just, that one is the magic keeper that seemed to work at every age and stage of my kid's life. Oh, I agree so much. I literally just yesterday took my kids to the mountains and I mean, two hours went by for them. Like, I mean, so fast. And they were so sad when it was time to come home. They were so engrossed and I didn't, I didn't have to do anything. I mean, and I was, and I was loving it too. I mean, it was so fun. At first I was helping them build the floor and then I was like, okay, I'm going to go sit on this rock. And I just sat on the rock and it was glorious. (laughs) I actually wish I would have brought a book, frankly, and a notebook to start journaling, but 
I'm going to, we're going back today. And I'm like, I'm bringing my journal and I'm bringing my book and, and, oh yeah, I'm with you outside is, and not only is outside magic, cause there is a whole world for them to explore. There's bugs and there's, it's mm-hmm. so good for them. But I mean, I'll link a few of our episodes about, there is so much research out there about what it does for their minds. So you have oh. the of independent play plus the combination of the wild, what nature does to our children's minds and our own minds. And wow, it's a recipe for just success all over the place. Yes. hundred percent. I'm not sure what you're, what your links are. I will give one little, I have heard that in the morning too, the outside play mm-hmm. that the that sun has like some effect on our chemical. Yes. Yeah. We had actually an interview about circadian rhythms and he said that one of his best hacks in life is to feel the sun on your face. And there is tons of research behind this, yeah. but if you can feel the sun on your face when it rises, which is kind of hard for me because my morning routine that only happens a few times during the year. I'm usually up before and I'm like somewhere else by the time the sun's rising. But, yeah. but if you can, it's a huge, it does so much for your circadian rhythms and your sleep cycles and it, it improves so much of your life. So yes, outside sunlight, snow. One of my favorite phrases as a mother that I cannot remember where I heard it from, but I've heard it a bunch is there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. So yeah. Even if it's freezing, we put on our boots and our coats and we still go outside. So I love that. And you said you're going to the mountains. I, we do that too. We do, there's quite a few nature trails in our area that we're able to go to, but just for some of those listeners who might be like, I'm not quite ready to take two kids, two toddlers to the mountains by myself. Your backyard works awesome. Yeah. And if you don't have a backyard and you just have a little patch of grass in the front, go to the patch of grass, anywhere they can feel plants and dirt, you can have a little tiny patch. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that it's outside. And my also, I mean, playgrounds are wonderful. So in, in the research that I've read, uh, the nature fix is one of my favorite books on the subject. And last child in the woods is another one of my favorite books on the subject, but the more wild the place, the more brain benefits you have. However, even just walking outside on a sidewalk where there's trees gives you huge benefits. So playgrounds are still hugely beneficial if you want to take that up a notch, then have it be a playground that has grass somewhere that they can actually feel the grass. But even if it's a park strip, literally, like if you're like, Hey, I live in an apartment and I don't have time to go to the park. It's okay. You can go outside in the sunlight on the cement and let them watch ants. Like there are benefits to just being outside. So yeah. I'm glad you said that. Cause there is no such thing as like, well, I can't, I can't go all the mountains. So whatever. I'm not even going to try. You can be amazed at what your kids can find. Again, I'm, I'm picturing my little four-year-old he loves to watch ants as they crawl through the sidewalk. Kids can yeah. be entertained by that. I mean, it's, and if you add sidewalk talk to the mix, then you're really just <laughs> taking it over the top. 100% the things that interest us, like you have to get rid of your bias of like, oh, that's boring and that's not interesting. Cause I mean, yeah, at 30, that is boring and not interesting, but at four, it is awesome. Mm-hmm. So, And as you pay attention to things, I call it, I have my kids do, we do a superpower meditation. We sit outside and we just like, let all of our senses get stronger. So you can like hear more and see more. But when I was in college, I took a class. um, I was a, it's called the art of emotional well-being, which is amazing. And one of our homework assignments was to just go somewhere and stare at something for 10 straight minutes, just stare at it. So it could be a brick. It could be cement. It could be a, a river. It could be a piece of grass. 
And as you look at something for long enough, it becomes fascinating because you do, you notice these little tiny, like living organisms on it. And if you've ever seen a kid getting gross, they are more prone to that than we are as adults because we don't take the time to look closely at anything. But kids, if you give them that freedom, I mean, you'll watch them hone into, look at this wood, mommy, look, there's like lines through the wood and look at that little hole. There's like a little tiny bug burrowing into it. I wonder what it is. I mean, literally, you don't have to have a whole wilderness to be fascinated by the incredible world that nature offers us, even in a blade of grass. So we have a stick in our house that stays in our house and is not allowed to leave our house because I believe there's dried up mud on it that has some grooves into it. But my kids are convinced that it is a dinosaur fossil. (laughs) (laughs) And my son will very proudly tell anybody who asks that there is a dinosaur fossil in Reagan's bedroom. Uh Oh, I love Uh, it. They have taken what I would have been like, this is a stick and then just tossed it. They have looked at it so deeply and noticed all the interesting little grooves, like you said, and we now have dinosaur fossils in our house. (laughs) I love it. And that's the magic the kids can bring. Would you mind, would you mind, I would like to hear just one more time, just read through those bullet points of those tips, because those are really helpful tips. And I think you've explained them so well. I would love our listeners just to hear just listing them for them. Can you just review those real quick? Of course. Establish a routine. Mm -hmm. Toys that are, I guess, hidden, like toys that you don't have out all the time. So a special independent play toy. Back away slowly. So working in small chunks and then outside, going outside. Okay. Those are beautiful and so manageable. As I hear you saying those, those are accessible for everybody. So I think for you listeners who are asking these questions, these are some really good places to start. And I would say I have done all of those except for the hidden toy. I've heard of that and it sounds brilliant. I kind of, I mean, at this point it's working for us. We're just going to stick with it, but I'm, I really like that. If I had really, if I had younger kids, I think I would try that out. That's really good idea. Okay. Emily, I'm loving these tips. Can you walk us through a little bit? Tell us about what you offer to mothers and fathers who have little kids at home, if they're looking for more of a curriculum to help them either instead of preschool or as a supplement to preschool, but if they're wanting a little bit more structure, what you, what your program can offer them. Absolutely. So I have a program called the preschool playbook. It is written for parents to do at home. And it is, I set up those, all those cool Pinterest activities. I have put them into a book. You no longer need to go overwhelm yourself with Pinterest and Instagram. And they're really simple. And so I've put them into this book where I tell you what to do each day. And I set up a quick activity for my kids. And this allows us to either create through that preschool at home, kind of get into some of that learning, but it also leads to some of fostering that independent play. One of our favorites, I'll give an example. One of our favorites is I've set up cups, plain old plastic cups, cheapy dollar store ones. And I was like, what can you build? what can you build with these cups or can you build it? Sometimes they prefer more of a challenge. Like can you, who can build the tallest tower? Mm. Uh, Who can build a bridge? Can you build a bridge? But using these cups to all set up an activity and then sometimes they're into it and they love it and they are going and going and that will lead to our independent play. I'll build with them for a little bit and I'll be like, all right, mom's going to go cook dinner. And they're like, cool. See ya. (laughs) Um, Sometimes they're not into it, but it's almost always acts as like a catalyst for 
okay, I'm not into building today or I'm not into this butcher paper activity you laid out today, but now you've sparked my imagination and I'm gonna just leave your activity. That was cute. You set that up, good for you. I'm gonna leave it here and I'm gonna go do this other thing because this sparked my imagination and now I know what kind of play I wanna do. So I guess activities would be tip number five of how to get to that independent play where we are learning together, feeling a little bit better about what they're doing versus just screen time. We do screen time in my house, not dogging it, but this one makes me feel a little more warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> and then it leads to that fosters that independent play as well of, okay, so I did mom's activity and now I want to keep playing or I tried mom's activity. I'm not feeling it, but now I know how I want to go off and play. And I quietly excuse myself to go cook dinner or read a book or drink my coffee in peace. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of those things, there's all written out for you in the preschool playbook that I've created so that you don't have to do the research. I did it all for you. Mm. Honestly, just feeling like you don't have to search through Pinterest sounds like such a relief, yes. <laughs> you know? So I'm glad that you've just put it together. That sounds beautiful. Simplification that actually encourages you to like come up with something so easy that with stuff you already have in your house. I kind of yeah. love that. I, I love that idea. Okay. Well, that is beautiful. Where can our listeners find you more about you and more about your preschool playbook? I am sandbox Academy on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and my website. They're all the same sandbox Academy, definitely most active on my website. So if you emailed me, and then Instagram. Okay. I like to hang out the most. And tell, tell us what your website is again. Sandboxacademy.com. Dot com. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I love that. Okay. Those are, I love it. I love that you're just Sandbox Academy all the way through. That makes it very easy <laughs> to access. <Yes>. Well done. <laughs> okay. That is beautiful. Oh, Emily, I'm feeling, I'm feeling inspired. I'm feeling also like this wave of gratitude for those concrete tips. Those are really, really helpful combined with what you actually offer as your curriculum. Those are, that's also really beautiful. Again, I think for Felicia who has, I mean, she has babies and toddlers and for Caitlin, our other co-host who has her babies just getting into toddlerhood. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited for them to try it. And honestly, I actually want my four-year-old. This sounds perfect for my four-year-old. So I'm really excited about it. So we ask all of our people who we interview, what is a game-changing habit that you have that helps you find the magic in your own life? So tell us, what, what is that for you? I ditched the nighttime scrolling in probably October, mm -hmm. and I read. And I read a book, and I have read of almost 12 books in these last, like, six months. What? Okay, so you do this instead of watching a show? Uh, no, I still watch shows somewhat. So my husband and I were, we would watch a show together and then we would go to bed and I would pull up my phone and I would start scrolling and scrolling. Oh, as he fell asleep, like he's already asleep at this point. He would scroll for a little bit, but I definitely got sucked in way longer than he did. <laughs> he would close his phone and go to sleep and I would be, I mean, up until like two in the morning. And he was like, why are you doing this to yourself? I was not fun at six in the morning the next day. <laughs> And I was like, well, it's just time for myself where nobody is needing me. 
And when you run a blog, you can validate any minute on social media as working. Mm-hmm. And so I, in October was like, okay, I need to ditch this. It's not, it's not working for me. So when we finished our show in the living room and we decided to go off to bed, I decided to put my phone down and pick up a book. And that has made all the difference in my sleep and my health and, and just my overall happiness. Oh my word. Okay. I have one more follow-up question about this because this, I love reading so much, but the only time I can find to read is in the morning because my husband, my husband would be asleep at this point. So do you just use like a small nightlight or what? I did. I bought a little book light that you can attach to your book. My kids think that's the coolest thing ever. So we've gone through three. They've all Mm -hmm. been destroyed and lost. I use the flashlight on my phone. Okay. You can also buy, you guys have heard us talk about in our circadian rhythms (laughs) episode about blue light. So I actually have a, it's a non blue light reading light that hooks onto the book that each of my kids have in their room. And then I have one, but you're right. My, my kids always just take mine. I need to do something more like this does not leave. It's like taped to my bed or something. <laughs> uh, oh, I really like that. That does sound like a game changing habit. Wow. I'm yes. like, I'm feeling so inspired. Okay. I love it. And thank you for answering my specific questions because I mean, yeah, I totally, like I watch a show with my husband. I we've tried before because um, I would love to read instead of watching a show, but it is just so fun to cuddle and watch a show. So mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're getting both. I'm in. I'm in for this. (laughs) Okay. Okay, Emily, I feel so inspired. Thank you again for those tips and for creating such a beautiful curriculum. And I just, I love it so much. So thank you for being on with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Okay. Let's find the magic. Brown cows. <laughs>